Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. Now folks, this is Right From Outer Darkness. This is part nine of this series, Subtle Deception. And the lie is God's not in control and I'm talking to myself too. So you gotta ask yourself, why do devils promote this lie? Because if God's not in control, man, we have reason to be genuinely afraid and fear shuts us down and fear paralyzes us. And Jesus Christ, I mean, that's why you have the lie. And Jesus Christ doesn't want us to be afraid. And I just have to go to Luke chapter 8. He sends the disciples out into a, he, he sends them out into a storm to prove a point. One day, Luke chapter 8, verse 22, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And so they got into a boat and set out. And as they sailed, guess what? He fell asleep. And a squall came down on the lake. And the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. And the disciples went and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And they were afraid, out of control, in a little boat on a sea. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging storms, and the raging waters and the storm subsided. And everything was calm. And where is your faith? He asked his disciples. See, that, that's, that's control. He had control over the whole thing. And that tells me a whole lot. From Genesis to Revelation, he has control. That's the message of Scripture. But the devil doesn't want you to believe that. See, God gives us truth. You got, this is so important, man. God gives you truth in his word. And the truth is, he doesn't want us to be afraid. But you got to know, the devil owns the media. He owns the media. And we play right into his diabolical scheme by watching news, 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 and more news. You ride in your car, you listen to secular talk radio. Um, folks, you want to defeat the devil? Seriously. I'm serious about it. You want to, you want to defeat the devil? Shut off the news and watch SpongeBob. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea how they do all those antics on SpongeBob underwater. Um, but if you want to do something practical and positive, commit yourself to watch one news broadcast once in a while. Just once in a while, so you know what's going on, so you can be intelligent about it, and so you know what to pray about, because demons control the media. TV, newspapers, they control the music industry, I'm not kidding, except maybe for some Christian music. They control most of the publishing companies, and so I got to ask the question, why do you knowingly, I'm serious about this, why do you knowingly, knowingly allow your hearts and minds to be filled with devil-manipulated and motivated and inspired information? You know, you don't have, man, folks, you got choices. You do not have to, you, you don't have to freak out on news. Can you honestly change your routine enough to take some praise CDs in your car maybe, or flip the Christian radio or Christian TV, or change your routine enough to deliberately get into Bible study instead of, instead of watching the media and filling your mind with good stuff? Because the whole purpose of God's word is to encourage, and the whole purpose of, 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 of the media is to breed fear. Again, the whole purpose of God's word is to encourage you, man. And the purpose, of the, the purpose of the devil's media is to breed fear. Why do devils promote this lie that God isn't in control? Because that lie breeds hopelessness. You know, what's the use kind of thinking? See, believers have hope to offer, and devils will do anything they can to get you not to offer it. Man, devils want you negative. They want you defeated. They want you fearful. 
You know, and that's when our prayer life, too, when, 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 you're, when you're saying God's not in control, that, that's when your prayer life becomes almost nil, or all stops altogether. Then this lie makes us control freaks, too, literally, because if God's not in control, somebody has to be in control. This, rob, this, this lie robs us of our testimony, and we'll consider some of these today. So let's look at the Word of God, because it's meant to encourage us, and we always begin with the nature of God Himself. When I think about the, this, this paralyzing fear that, that, that can happen in some people because they think God is in control, I have to look at the nature of God himself. See, God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. I've heard it put like this. He exists in the past. He exists in the present. He exists in the future. And he transcends time. He, God transcends time. And you've got to know Isaiah 46.10 where God inspires, the Holy Spirit inspires Isaiah to write, I, I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is yet to come. I say, my purpose will stand. I mean, this is God's word, folks. And I will do all that I, all that I please. I mean, when you read that, you've got to tell yourself, this is God's word. This is truth. This is what I believe. This is what I'm going to stand on. I mean, say it to yourself, this is God's word. This is truth. I'm going to read it again. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I said, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. I mean, this is so great. See, God knows the end of something from the time it begins. And so controls the details in between, from the beginning to the end, that it comes out exactly like he wants it to. That's exactly what that passage is saying. He's here at the beginning, he's here at the end, and he controls all the details in between so that ultimately his purpose is accomplished. Now, you either say that's truth or that's a lie. I mean, what are you going to do with that passage? I mean, it doesn't only mean the details of history either. He controls details of history like wars and false religions like Islam. It means, man, you've got that kidney stone that parked right at the end of your bladder and you can't pass it, so now they have to go up with a scope and get the thing. And, and you know, that's going to lay you up for a couple of days, and you're so busy, man, you got so much to do, you don't have a couple of days to be laid up, see? I mean, God controls that. He, he's he's going to control that thing. Or, or maybe you're doing everything you can to please your boss, but she's someone you just can't please. Now, how's, gonna work, how's God going to work out? The, I mean, he's there at the beginning. He's there at the end. He's working out all the details, how he works this out. I don't know, but I just have God's promise. That from beginning to end, he's working this thing to bring about his good purpose. And I'll show you this in Scripture. Joseph, I think this is probably the best example in Scripture. One of the 12 sons of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. One of the sons of Israel. And this is a great passage. This is one of the key passages in all Scripture, Genesis 50, 20. Joseph is talking to his brothers. He says, you guys intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And you folks know the, um, know the story of Joseph. A lot of you do. His brothers threw him into a pit and slave traders pulled him out. And Joseph um, was sold as a slave in Egypt. And a guy named Potiphar bought him. And Joseph's leadership skills shine through. He says, hey, look, you know, we can change this, 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 and this in your household and streamline this whole place. And we, we can do a lot of neat things in your household. And Potiphar said, hey, this guy's sharp. And, and I'm going to make him the head of my whole household. And so now Joseph is a slave running this guy's whole household. And then Potiphar's wife comes on to Joseph. You know that too. And Joseph says, uh-uh, we're not doing this. And then she accuses him of coming on to her. And now he's in prison for three years. So now just switch places with Joseph for a second. Switch places. You just said to some guy or some lady who tries to seduce you, I can't do this. 
I'm not going to do this. This is out of the will of God. It's not going to happen. And you get thrown in prison. What are you going to think? Where's God? I just told her to take a walk or told him to take a walk. This isn't fair. Things are out of control or God doesn't care. And so I need to get out of this mess myself. He has not Joseph. I mean, his leadership skills came through again. He was in that prison and he said to the prison, the, the, the prison guard, he says, he says, look at I mean, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this, and we can make this the most efficient prison in all of Egypt. Yeah, it's going to make you guys look so good. And they said, yeah, and they made him the head of the day-by-day-by-day affairs of the prison. And this guy happened to be in prison for a short time who was the official food taster of the great Pharaoh. Now, that's not coincidence. And Joseph interprets a dream for this guy. And three years later, the great Pharaoh of all Egypt has a dream, and Pharaoh's food taster says, you know, I know a guy in prison who can tell you what this dream means. And so Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. He becomes second command in all Egypt, and through the leadership skills God gave him, do you see what's going on here? How God's governing the details? I mean, through the leadership skills God gave him, he's able to take Egypt, and most of the world through what was probably the most, one of the most devastating famines in history. Genesis 50, 20. But God intended what you guys meant for evil, throwing me into a pit. God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, feeding most of the world at that time. And see, then this story isn't over. You got, you got to get the big picture here. Because then Joseph calls his brothers and his dad to live with him in Egypt. And so the Jews settle in Egypt. And then the nation of Israel grows in Egypt and developed in Israel and developed in Egypt. And then you get this bad Pharaoh. And he puts them in bondage for 400 years plus. And then God, with 10 plagues and parting the waters of the Red Sea, delivers them out of bondage. The Jews wander in the wilderness for 40 years. God supplies every need. He leads them to the promised land of Canaan. And all this, you've got to see the great big picture here. All this points to our Lord Jesus Christ, who on the cross would deliver us from our bondage to sin. That's our Egypt. And we would wander through this life. We're in that wandering period right now. But we're all going toward Canaan. And that's our promised land. That's our eternal home. And folks, that's the big picture. But it all began with Joseph brothers throwing him into a pit. And God was there then, and it's going to end with us going into our eternal home. And the Lord's going to be there to receive us. He's eternal. And along the path, I'll tell you what, he's going to let people exercise their free wills. And God's going to weave everything together. I mean, that's what God does. I mean, they're going to do it to you. I mean, people are going to throw you into a pit. Or you're going to mess up your own life. Or they're going to throw you in prison. Or hurt you in some way. But when you commit your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior, our eternal God is there at the beginning. And he takes you through every detail. And somehow, he's working. And see, that, folks, is God's word. That's what God's word says. When you feel like your life is out of control and the world is out of control, I'm serious about this, man. You just take your Bible and you kind of talk out loud to the devil because this is his lie. And you say to the devil, devil, I want to read you something. This is Isaiah 46.10. This is God's word. Devil, I, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I said my purpose will stand. And you got to believe that, man. My purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. You know, sometimes I'll do something or say something that is so dumb and so wrong, and I can't believe I did this, I can't believe I said this, I can't believe I didn't do this, and so on and so forth. And I'll say, Lord, you saw this. You knew I would do this. I, what an idiot I am. And I'll say that to God a number of times. I'll say, what an idiot I am. 
And I know I have to face this issue and go through the consequences, but folks, I also know I have God's word. I have God's word. And I've asked for forgiveness. I've asked for wisdom to change. I've committed myself to do the right thing, and God's at work. He's at the beginning of this thing. He's at the end of this thing, and he's working out all the details in between. This I know. This is my confidence, or this book is not truth. God is working a good purpose even out of the mess I make in my life. And that is so precious, I'll tell you. And so the devil's lie, God has no control, and the Bible's truth is, yeah, he does. The world or your life is never out of control. Hey, listen, I heard that um, you, you have to hear something 11 times before you remember it. And we've heard this. We've heard this so often, but I listen, I need to hear this over and over and over and over again so I can remember this. And that's that God knows everything. God's eternal. We saw that. He's at the end. He's at the beginning. He's, he's, he's taking you through the whole thing. And now we see that God knows everything. And everything includes you and everything includes me. You know, he knows every terrorist plot. He knows every evil thing that could possibly happen. He knows everything. And like I said, everything includes you and me. And I go to John 21, and I'm sure you've heard this before. This might, in fact, be the 11th time. But three times Jesus says to his disciples, Simon Peter, do you love me? He says, Simon Peter, do you love me? And Peter says the first time, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Third time, Peter, do you love me? And now Peter's a little bummed out. This is John 21, and this is verse 17. Peter was hurt. Listen to this. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know all things. See, that's God's word. It's God's word. You know all things, everything. So God knows everything. The Lord Jesus Christ knows everything, man. And then he says, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. And so you've heard that a lot, but go a little bit deeper with it. Peter said, Lord, you know. You know all things, but in particular, you know what? You know that I love you. I, I, I just think that is so neat. God knows we love him. You know what that's saying? He knows he knows everything, man. I, I mean, God knew Joseph was alone in that pit. God knew Joseph was in that prison. He knows every terrorist plot there is. He, know, he knows all those facts. But better than that, he knows your heart and my heart, and he knows we love him. And if I had to take that truth, that God knows my heart and knows I love him, and put it on a scale from 1 to 10 of the most precious aspects of my Christian faith, man, that would be right up there near the top. That God knows my heart and he knows I love him. Because I remember times... When I just caved in, man, I just caved in um, to sin. I mean, you got to write your own story here. And the comfort, I mean, the real comfort I had was John 21, 17, which says, Lord, you know all things. You know my heart. You know I love you. And, 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 I, and I caved in. And so do you. But God knew. He knew, he knew, he knew, he knew my heart. He knew I love him, and he's not going to pound me into the ground, see? Because he knows. He knows my heart, and he knows I want to obey him. And he knows my flesh. He knows how weak I am, see? And he knows that there's this battle in me and you between the flesh and the spirit, and that we struggle with this stuff. He knows that. He's not going to pound you and me into the ground. You know what he's going to do? He's going to forgive us for Jesus' sake. He's going to work with us on this whole deal. He's going to work with us, see? And that, that's just a precious truth to me. I think about this guy, David Wilkerson, who was an Oklahoma farm boy, and God called him to be a, to a youth ministry in the New York ghetto. And David Wilkerson wrote the book, The Cross and the Switchblade, years ago, and I think they, so long ago they made part of the movie West Side Story after that. But eventually David Wilkerson started Times Square Church, and his wife had cancer. 
And then his daughter got cancer, I mean a grueling cancer, and then his other daughter got grueling cancer. Now listen to this. He writes this. Oh Lord, first Gwen had to face all her, all her battles with cancer. That's his wife. Then our daughter Debbie has had to battle it. And now it's come upon Bonnie too. And then he said, this guy's been a strong man of God for all these years. He says, tell me, what did I do? <laughs> I mean, how did I sin against you to bring about all this suffering as if God was punishing him? No one on earth, he writes, could have helped me in that dark hour. No preacher, no Christian counselor could have reached me. A thousand saints could have stood by me exhorting, hey, you can make it, David. Don't weep. Don't scream at God. Just believe. But none of their words would have touched me. I could never explain to anyone the depth of grief and pain I endured at that time. Now listen to this. I needed something supernatural, something only God could provide. I needed a word of love from my heavenly Father. I had to win this war, hear this, with no other help except the help of the Spirit of God. And God did come. Now, 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 this is so neat. Listen, the Holy Spirit whispered to me. He thought this. He thought this. He said, your daughter has two fathers, and she's in that hospital bed, and she's got cancer, and she's dying. Which one can hold her better, you or me? Isn't that a neat thought? Which one can hold her better, you or me? I answered, and I imagine he trembled when he answered this. I answered, you can, Lord. It was as if the Lord, it was as if the Lord said to me, okay, you put your family in my hands. Go ahead and cry it out. Get it out of your system. I know everything you're feeling. I felt the same thing for my son. Now trust that I'm a father to your daughter and to you and to your family. In that hour of our desperate cries, Jesus entered into Bonnie's room, took hold of her for three long days, and healed her. Now that doesn't always happen. And he said, praise God. I like this. He said, often we Christians convince ourselves that the right thing to do is to grit our teeth through our battles. We tell others, oh, we tell others, everything's all right, but it's not all right. God doesn't want us to put on a false front. He knows, listen, this is the big thing. He knows what we're going through, and he knows we've shared this whole deal with him. And that's the point, man. He knows right where you are like David Wilkerson, and he speaks to your heart. When he spoke to that guy's heart and said, okay, she's got two fathers. Which one can hold her better? And he speaks to your heart. You've got to look at it this way, see? You're right here. This is what you're going through. This thing had a beginning. It began here. God was there. The Lord was there. I mean, this is what you're going through right now. He's there right now. And this is where it's going to end. And he's right there too. He knows exactly where this whole thing is going and what's going to happen. But the big deal is he knows your heart, man. You're his. You're his child, John 21, 17. He knows you love him. You're on a road, man. He's never going to take his eyes off you. The devil wants you to think God's going to take his eyes off you. The devil wants you to think this whole, this whole deal is out of control. No, he's going to guide you. He sees your heart. He knows you love him. And he's going to guide you through this maze from here to there. In Isaiah 46.10, man, he's going to bring about his purpose. Here's another point I said earlier. The devil controls the media. The media gives you the... I mean, the, the, the media gives you all this bad news and, and people say, where is God? And that can filter down into your personal life and people think, hey, if God has no control, then I got to have some control, so I guess I got to take control myself. 
So what do we start to do? I'm not saying you, but, but people do this, okay? So if, you have no, if, if God doesn't have control, then somebody's gotta have control, and so that somebody has to be you to control your life, and so what do you do to control your life? We, we, we turn to manipulating people, and that, that's very dangerous. Devils love, love to see us do that because you're trying to get control. I mean, you got this issue in your life. I mean, pick any issue, pick anyone, okay? So you got this issue, and what do you do? You go to people, you call people. These are your connections, see? And you say, well, I know you, and we have somewhat of a relationship, so see there is a fine line between you have a legitimate lead and they can help and manipulating this person or using people. And that's the devil messing around with your values. See, I, I want to see everybody in my life. Every, I mean everybody. I want to see every person in my life is not somebody I'm going to manipulate, but somebody I'm going to serve. They are not there to serve me. You got to know this. I'm there to serve them. Don't get that twisted around. They are in my life so I can bless them. That's how I want to see every person. They're in my life for whatever reason so I can somehow be a blessing to them. And if somehow I get blessed in return, that's okay too. How do you defeat the devil, man? You take, you take this issue in your life and you take it to God in prayer and you don't manipulate people and call in a favor or something like that. You ask God to bring the right people into your life and when they can somehow bless you, you're thanking the Lord for bringing that person into your life. Thank you, Father, for helping me. See, that's not manipulation. Thank you, Father, for helping me like this. Thank you, Lord, for so-and-so in my life. This person is God. I mean, this person is from God. And your trust is in him. You just beat the devil because you're not manipulating these people. You know, devils shriek at that. I mean, this whole lie, there's so much, you know, this whole lie that there's so much evil in the world. How can God be in control? It gives birth to hopelessness. And devils love that too, man. They don't want you to have hope. They want you to be defeated. The kind of an ad, that kind of an attitude, that defeated, negative, hopeless kind of an attitude, man, does that rob you of witness? I mean, you say to somebody like that, you say, you know, you say, how's life? And they say, hanging in there. And what's that mean, hanging in there? I mean, those are the words of a funeral dirge. I mean, you don't want to have a plastic, you don't want to have a plastic smile and be phony. You don't want to do that. But you don't want to make being a believer and serving the Lord a funeral dirge as if you're in, in, in the backseat of a big black funeral limo. You know, how you, how's life? You know, hanging in there in this whole out-of-control world. Hopeless philosophy of life. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 is a great passage. Colossians, Colossians 1, verse 3, where the apostle Paul writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love, and the love you have for all the saints. Listen, we thank God for the faith and love. Now hear this, the faith and love that spring from what? The hope that is stored up for you in heaven. You guys are in love with each other, man. You're serving each other. You have bold faith. You're reaching out with the gospel. Why? Because you have hope. Hope that springs from what? Your certain hope, your indefatigable hope of eternal life. It's that hope that Jesus conquered death and you're his forever. It's that guaranteed hope that drives your faith and love 
and makes you passionate about life and passionate about the gospel. And man, that is so attractive to other people. Hope is obvious. I mean, there are so many defeated people in this world. Man, beat the devil at his own game. Listen, in every conversation, offer hope. So man, we gotta be so aware of offering hope. I evaluate every conversation like that. I, you know, I go back over conversations, every phone conversation, in-person conversation, every letter, and I evaluate it, and I say, did I offer those people some kind of hope? Did I bring them up or take them down? Did I offer those people some kind of encouragement? You do that, man. You do something like that, and you know devils are squawking. You know, one more thing, this whole lie, the world's out of control, and evil is rampant you know, makes us say, why pray? Look at James chapter 5, verse 16. The second half of that verse. This is, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. But look at this, the, the last part of it. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And I'm not going to let this whole stupid lie that the world's out of control. God has no control. That is a lie. Keep me from praying because my prayers and your prayers are the prayer of one righteous man and they connect with the all-powerful, all-loving God. And the Bible says they are powerful and effective. So don't let the devil lie to you. And then understand that your one prayer, your one prayer connects to an all-loving, all-powerful God and you can change things. And I hope these words, I pray these words are a blessing to you. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.